Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to OK Epidaily Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. I want to start off today's show on this Friday, which will mark day 16, day 16 into the war in Ukraine. And I think that one of the things that I find most troubling about what is unfolding, what we're all watching, is we're watching real live footage, right? War as it's unfolding for the first time on our phones, on our computers, on our televisions. There is a initial outrage and shock that comes with the kinds of footage that we're seeing. This week, a maternity hospital, a hospital for pregnant people and children in northern Ukraine was bombed. I watched on MSNBC a woman, a pregnant woman, visibly pregnant, being brought out on a stretcher. And you see old people getting bandaged on their heads. You're seeing craters the size of, I don't know, multiple car lengths now in front of apartment buildings where once there were trees and gardens. And we're watching this, and my fear as we're watching all of this unfold is a desensitization, right? That we're going to become desensitized because we can watch these things, these atrocities unfold from the comforts of our homes 
here in the United States where we are watching war play out like some type of video game or the latest action movie out of Hollywood, realizing that the people that we are seeing crammed at train stations and bus stations, people that are walking for half of a day, 12 hours or more in order to make it to a bordering country for safe haven, that now in week three, as we head into week three, of Putin's aggression, Putin's war in the Ukraine, that 2 million people, 2 million people in three weeks, in three weeks time have fled their homes, their lives, their country, their jobs, their family, and their friends. Many leaving their husbands, their brothers, their colleagues, their uncles behind to hold down the country and fight, right? And fight against this aggression. And folks, I am just, as all of you are, find myself some days so incredibly overwhelmed by the images, so incredibly overwhelmed by the despair. Even as our vice president, Kamala Harris, is in Poland, trying to negotiate with the Poles what they're going to do to help the Ukraine. Zelensky, President Zelensky has asked, we need fighter jets. We need the same fighter jets that our pilots in the Ukraine can fly. And we need them and we need them now. And the Poles made a fucking, I don't even know what kind of move you would call it, um, if you were playing spades, you would say that they were trying to run the table, but didn't really have a good hand. Um, the polls were like, so we have the fighter jets that you need, but we don't want to let Putin know that we're the ones that are going to give it to you and that we're authorizing. So instead we're going to do some underhanded shit, which is we're going to give the polls we're going to give our fighter jets to the United States for the United States to decide however they want to use, right? Those fighter jets. The United States then will give us their used fighter jets to replace the ones that we're giving to them, who then they will be the ones, the United States will be the ones that Putin sees as responsible for giving the Ukraine the fighter jets that they need. And then the United States turned around and was just like, uh, so not it. We're not touching your shit, which is why the vice president was deployed to Poland to come to some type of agreement as to how NATO allies continue to aid Zelensky in more than just a standing ovation, right? Then more than just, you know, um, aid at the border. But what are we going to do? Because now reports are coming out, folks, where based on United States intel, the intelligence community, reports are coming out that Vladimir Putin is seeking to put together some type of chemical attack. And we already know, right, that at some point in time, 
Putin is going to be investigated for war crimes. But does that really matter at this stage where we are? And one of the questions that I thought I wanted to pose to all of you today that I heard was how long is NATO, is the United States going to allow this war to continue knowing that if Putin releases chemical warfare, that this is escalation bigger than we have ever seen since World War II. And so are we going to sit around and wait for millions of people like we did in World War II, where we waited for millions of Jewish people to be slaughtered? Or are we going to preempt what we know could be possibly genocide and take action now? Now, folks will say, well, we can't take action now, right? If we do anything, we are certainly headed into World War III. None of the choices that are at hand right now are good ones. And I don't know if we all understand the gravity of the situation that is at hand. Like, again, we are watching this safely from our living rooms, our cars, our homes, on a walk or what have you, safely removed by an ocean, right? What of what is happening? But the fact is, is that if you are Putin and you are somebody with nothing to lose, right? And all the things to gain, that if I just go completely ham, meaning I put on the most egregious attack, right? On civilians. And I continue to escalate that. And those people that are supposed to hold me accountable are only cutting off my financial resources. But because I've already strategized ahead, knowing that yeah, sanctions were going to come and they were going to be bad. And I will frame in my media, which only dispenses bullshit, how this is an attack on the Russian people. And this is attack, you know, from the West on Russia and all of these things, then I've already planned for these sanctions, right? And I am playing a different three-dimensional chess, right? Like I'm in a different space. So if you know that the person that you're dealing with is ready to leave it all on the fucking table with nothing to lose, then you need to figure out what your response is going to be because it's not going to be diplomatic. I, I personally believe that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong and that there is still an opportunity for a diplomatic resolution to where we are right now with Ukraine and Putin. And I want to be clear that I say Ukraine and Putin because the Russian people have no idea what the fuck he's doing, right? Russia, in the way that their television is set up and their government is set up and social media is set up, is that you are force-fed alternative facts and lies. So much so that even people, Russian people who are in the Ukraine calling home to their Russian families and are telling them, do you hear that sound that is behind me? We are under attack, are being told, no, you're not. 
Russia's only going, our military would never do that. We're only going after military places and barracks and all of these things. This, we would never attack civilians and there's no factual evidence to say so. They are saying that to their family members who are on the phone in a fucking burning building and they're saying, you're lying to me. Because that's how brainwashed they have been by Russian television propaganda. So much so, folks, that Tucker Carlson and Fox News and Republican members of Congress are doing the fucking heavy lifting for Vladimir Putin, even as he is in the midst of being investigated for war crimes. This week, Tucker Carlson said the most egregious things about the United States working in cahoots with the Ukrainians and like force feeding them with, um, with weapons and just lying, providing Russian talking points to Americans. And I keep saying, and I've said it on social media and I'm saying it again here, like where the fuck is the FCC? When is enough enough? We have, of course, certainly, right, freedom of speech. But I can tell you and point to many moments in our time and in our history where that has been curtailed because it has been deemed as a national threat, right? But this administration doesn't want to do that because we don't want to seem, quote unquote, political, even as you have an entire network that is feeding the American people Russian propaganda, So we can't even be united as we were in the past, united as a country against the common enemy, because according to Fox News and Tucker Carlson, Putin is their friend and it is Biden who is the enemy. Tucker Carlson has one of the highest rated shows in his fucking time slot. And he's going unopposed. Also, let me tell you something else that is, and again, we are paying so much attention to what is happening abroad, whether it is with empathy or with sympathy. And we are saying, oh my God, these poor people. And again, negating, ignoring. And I don't even know if now I can just say that what we are ignoring, the, the fascism, the authoritarianism that right-wing Republicans are spitting every single place inside the halls of Congress on Fox news and in other places. And if we are not going to actively curtail this and actively call it out and actively frankly, call it fucking treason, then what are we doing? We, as I said, two weeks ago, The Ukraine and what Putin is doing there should be foreshadowing to what Republicans and white evangelical Christians want to do in the United States. They want to create this closed loop circuit where the only information that you are given is what it is that they want you to know. And that all other avenues to actual facts, right, are going to be negated. Republicans take control. It isn't just this boogeyman of CRT that's going to come out of your kid's curriculum. It's literally everything. 
right? How are we teaching science these days if we're not talking about climate change? Right? How are we talking about history and not putting, not contextualizing it with what is unfolding right now? What Republicans want is what Russia has and what Putin has been able to do. And our own members of Congress and our own media are aiding him in his messaging war that he is doing with his own people. And they are doing it with our citizens here. So listen to this. This is some wild fucking shit. Um, so this is according to the Daily Beast. Representative Madison Cawthorn, Republican from North Carolina, has diverged from his party's stance on Ukraine in ugly fashion. Take a listen. Calling President uh, Zelensky, quote, a thug and the country, quote, incredibly evil. In a bizarre rant caught on camera, it's not clear when the clip obtained by WRAL was filmed, but former Bush chief of staff, Carl Rove, who first mentioned the comments in a Wall Street Journal piece, said it was filmed at a town hall in Asheville last Saturday. At the start of the clip, Cawthorn mentioned sending Stinger missiles to the Ukraine for self-defense, providing further evidence that the clip was filmed after Russia's invasion began. Quote, remember that Zelensky is a thug, Cawthorn said in his rant. Quote, um, remember that the Ukrainian government is incredibly corrupt and it is incredibly evil and it has been pushing woke ideologies. Meanwhile, Cawthorn is battling, battling, right, on his own three court cases for driving offenses and is in the process of divorcing a woman he says he met at a fake CrossFit competition staged by a man he met in a casino in Russia where casinos are banned. Let me tell you something. Like, you may want to laugh off this news story and say, oh my God, look at this crackpot. Because this is the same way that we wanted to laugh off Donald Trump and not pay attention to how he had stuck his talons, right, into the foundation of our democracy. And we wanted to laugh it off and said, oh, no, he could never become president. And Oh, no, these Marjorie Taylor Greens, these Laura Boberts, this Madison Cawthorn, they're just crazy. No, they are not. They are the mainstream of the Republican Party, which is no longer aligned with democracy, not in this country and certainly not around the fucking world. So when you're getting up on television, when you're getting up at a donor event, right, and you're saying Russian talking points that Vladimir Zelensky, who is parted from his children and his family, is staying in his country that is literally on fire to fight, is being applauded by other democratic world leaders and their governments around the world, but a member of our Congress is referring to him as a thug and celebrating Vladimir Putin on network television in the United States, and we don't do anything about that because we want to say, oh, freedom of speech? It is not freedom of speech when it threatens our national security. It is not freedom of speech when it is talking points straight out of a dictator that is committing war crimes across the pond. That is not freedom of speech. 
That is dangerous. And the fact that we as a party do not call this out everywhere and anywhere that a mic is put in front of your face, the fact that we cannot tie how fragile the Ukraine is right now, how fragile democracy is around the world with the fragility that we are experiencing here at home goes to tell me and you that folks are not making the connections. And if they are, they're too afraid to say so out loud. And if we're too afraid to tell the truth in the face of alternative facts, lies, and aggression, then when are we going to tell the truth? If it's not going to be now, then when is the right time? If we are not going to say that not only is Fox News evil, but that they are a threat and a significant threat to our country, to our democracy at a time when the world is on the brink of World War III, when is the right time? If you don't have the backbone and the fortitude as a Democrat that is in power to say the buck is going to fucking stop here, we as a country need to unite because democracy around the world and in this country is under threat and we're not willing to do that, then what are we willing to stand for? Because frankly, it is not going to be enough to continue to talk tough and not follow it up with any action here at home. The same way that Merrick Garland would find himself Merrick Garland found himself this week on NPR and on NPR, he wanted to offer up the fact that, you know, once again, nobody is above the law and that those that were uh, criminally responsible for the outcomes of January 6th will be held accountable and get this in due time. We are eight fucking months away from midterm elections. And I'm going to continue to say that as we count down on Woke AF Daily. We are eight months away from midterm elections. What the fuck does due time look like for a Department of Justice that has been in control and in power for over a year? In a matter of a couple of days, the Department of Justice put together a task force to attack Russian oligarchs and to seize finances of those that they believe are financing Vladimir Putin. They did that in a matter of days of war breaking out in the Ukraine. Where is the energy for the American oligarchs? Where is the task force that was put together on day one of the Biden administration and on day one of the Garland Department of Justice to ensure that every single person that was involved, whether they were the foot soldiers that entered the Capitol building on January 6th or the ones at the top that funded the insurrection or wrote the memos for said insurrection or then rallied the troops on the ellipses and sent them to the Capitol building on January 6th, if you are not going after and creating a task force to go after everyone from the foot soldiers to the architects, and you haven't done so in well over a year at this point, why should I believe you when you are going on NPR and other channels and again, wanting to talk tough, but then not offering the American people any insight into your investigation, into the corrupt previous administration, all of their allies. And I don't know 
the fucking documents, over 550 interviews that came out of the commission, all of the documents that they have gathered, and then also the recommendation that they've provided. What the fuck is Merrick Garland doing? What is he doing? Because I, I, it is the same bullshit that Joe Biden is doing, which is we're going to pound our chest and puff it out, right? And direct all of that hot energy towards Putin, but you don't have the same fire in your belly to hold the people in this country accountable for trying to undermine democracy. It is mind boggling to me. And again, I'm like, we are eight months away. Right. By the time that folks cast their ballot, right. For those that still actually have early voting for those folks that are able to cast their ballot, either a couple of weeks before or on the day of midterm elections, what are they going into that booth thinking? Are they going to go into that booth thinking that, oh my God, thank God Democrats have been in charge for all of this time because we got voting rights. We have a handle and have some legislation moving around climate change that we are holding those responsible for undermining our democracy. And we're going after them. What are you going into the voting booth and thinking in November? Cause I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Democrats don't have anything to fucking run on. I'm thinking that running on the fact that you are not Donald Trump is not going to be enough. I'm thinking about the fact that when Republicans do seize power, that Merrick Garland's whole fucking, oh, I don't know, uh, backwards momentum in terms of going after those responsible for our insurrection, well, his time is going to be up. But then he's going to be able to get in front of the cameras and give a bunch of lip service as to how Republicans are gumming up the works. And what I'm going to remind everybody of when that happens, because it will, is that you had well over a year of unobstructed influence from Republicans because you had control over the Senate and the House and the executive branch. So what were you doing during that time? It is, every day is just another day that I'm like, this is not great. We are not headed in the rest, the best direction. We are not doing the things that are necessary in order to preserve what little democracy that we have here. And as we are watching the Ukraine play out and we're watching 2 million people flee, We're watching hospitals and homes and fucking office buildings and everything be bombed. What would happen, you think, if it was Donald Trump and Republicans that were in charge of the presidency right now? One of the questions that was asked, too, on cable news this week was, you know, you have... Putin. Many believe he's a sociopath. I mean, they call the man a whole host of things. What what we do know to be true is that he's not dumb, right? He's evil and there's nothing worse than evil, but smart evil, right? So the question was asked, well, why do you think that Putin didn't invade Ukraine when Donald Trump was president of the United States? 
And the response of one of the former diplomats uh, from the Ukraine said this, well, if you're getting everything that you want from the current sitting American president, then why would you want to upset the apple cart? But Vladimir Putin was betting on the fact that Donald Trump was going to win a second term. And so he was going to get what it was that he wanted from Donald Trump. Then once he saw that Trump was no longer going to be in power, Democrats were going to take over and people who actually understand foreign affairs were going to be in charge. He was like, well, then I don't have any other fucking choice. And while I think it's absolutely crazy that apparently we have laws around war and justifiable murder and, and not right. What weapons can be used and what can't the fact remains that you have Republicans in this country that are on the side of Putin and folks, we have never seen that before. We have never seen a divided America in the face of a global war. And I say global because everybody, whether they want to or not, is slowly but surely going to be pulled into this fucking invasion of Ukraine. We have power off at Chernobyl, right? The quote unquote defunct uh, nuclear power plant. We got another one, the largest in Europe, which was seized by Putin, right? I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself and I'm just like, everyone is trying to avoid escalation in the face of Putin actually escalating daily. If he stages a fucking chemical attack against civilians, what options does the United States and NATO have left if not to get involved? Because if every single person who is getting on cable news, who has intimate knowledge of Russia, of Putin and of the Ukraine, and they are telling you that this man is not going to back down, that this is an all in type of situation. You have dim diplomats in both the Ukraine and Russia that were meeting in Turkey. And guess what? They came to no fucking agreement because I'm telling you, Putin is leaving it all on the fucking field right now. He is not going, this is a man, right? This is, this is a man that, that embodies, think about this, that embodies toxic masculinity, right? Everything that he does from riding bare chested on the back of a horse from, it is his machismo, right? It is his bravado. This is what Trump and Republicans are attracted to because they are so frail, right? So spineless, so feeble as men, that they are attracted, right, to the, the presence, just the sheer presence of toxic masculinity gets them going, right? So if you are a man, former KGB, like Putin, who believes that all of your power as a man comes from force, do you think that given that psychology, right? Given this armchair psychology that I just get, that I just gave all of those things being true. Do you think that this is the type of man that when fed with, met with all of the eyes 
of the world on him that he's going to back down and show any sign of weakness that like he couldn't handle it. Even if, even if things start to go in the wrong direction for Russia, I believe that Vladimir Putin at the stage that he is in right now will double and triple the fuck down. And that should scare everyone. This is not a man that is wanting to or able to flinch. And so if we don't understand the psychology that is at play here and how toxic masculinity is a part of the play and is a part of what has taken over the Republican party and has spread like a cancer, then how are we to get to the bottom with how we're actually going to deal with this? Because here's what I'm saying. I don't think that the world comes out of this unscathed. So what does that mean when you're talking about people, right? Whether it's Russia, the United States, um, China, you're talking about like over a thousand. And in the case of the United States, over 5,000 activated nuclear weapons. World War III has been said on movies, in politics, everywhere will be the end because everyone will set off their fucking nukes. So right now we are literally playing chicken as the world with a crazy man that doesn't give a fuck about driving right off the cliff. He's just not going to blink. And so given this situation at hand, how are you moving? What is the next move here? You're not going to give Ukraine a no-fly zone, right? Which would be certain escalation. The Poles are not going to do their fucking bait and switch, which is, oh, we're going to give these planes, but then we're not going to really give these planes. We're going to give them to the United States and the United States is going to give us our planes. And then the United States is going to do what they will with the Ukraine, which is then going to signal Putin. Oh, so you chose a side side. Okay. Bet. Right? Like, oh, when you think about all of them, machination, the the things that are at fucking play here, your head begins to spin. And again, have no idea, have no idea where this heads, but I'm going to tell you, it's not great. It's not great for Ukraine. It's not great for Russia, right? For the Russian people who have now literally been blacked out and cut off of everything from their money to their fucking entertainment, right? Thousands have been arrested. God knows what will happen to those people. (sighs) To say that I'm worried, to say that I sometimes just lay in bed, like just staring up at the ceiling um, waiting for a blinking alarm to come on my phone to tell me some other hot shit. Like this isn't great. And I don't know how else to deliver it to you. Where we are is not great. Right now, the vice president is in Poland trying to figure out, 
How do we give fighter planes to Ukraine to give these people, to give their military a fighting chance without that signaling that we're ready for World War III? No idea. But I do know there is only so much sitting on the sidelines that can be done when the entire world is watching Vladimir Putin kill Ukrainian citizens. There is only so much that folks are going to be able to stomach before they get on the phones with their elected officials, before marches are taking place, before people are like, what the fuck? Right? What are we doing? Because we need to do something. Switching gears now, folks, to um, round out where we are with Russia is that as I have been reporting, WNBA player Brittany Griner is in Russian custody and has been for over a month. News of that broke over the weekend last weekend um, after she had already been detained for weeks for possible... um, marijuana cartridges for a vape in her luggage. Now, I saw a really interesting story that I thought was worth diving into, and I want to dive more into it next week. So you guys all hold me to account. Interesting article about why Brittany Griner was in Russia to begin with. And so let me describe it like this. The WNBA players don't even make a quarter of what NBA players make. Now, we know, right, because we reported here on Woke AF, that the women's soccer team won a multi-million dollar lawsuit against a soccer association for failure to pay them equally in comparison to the men's teams. And this has been something that we have seen play out in tennis, play out in soccer, play out in the WNBA and the NBA, and play out in the workforce. We don't have an Equal Pay Act, right? Because we have Republicans and some Democrats that refuse to vote that, vote for it, that believe that, you know, women should not be paid as much as men are, which is crazy. Given the fact that we just came out of fucking, not just came out of because it's still existing, um but that we just, in 2020, watched over 2 million women leave the workforce because they needed to be tending to their small children at home and turn themselves into homeschool teachers, right? So we got to see in real lifetime the balance that working parents, working mothers in particular, the burden that is on them. And they still are not paid equally to men. So one story that I saw about the case with Brittany Griner is that Brittany Griner is in Russia playing in the WNBA's offseason because the, and the WNBA doesn't fucking play, pay, right? They're paying these players, like the top players in the leagues are making like six figures. And I mean like low six figures, Right. That I remember reading reports when the WNBA was started where these players were making as much as teachers, like $50,000 a year, $60,000 a year. 
In comparison, just think about the worst, and again, I'm not a huge sports person, but the worst player on the NBA, the one that is just riding the bench, is making five times more than the best player on the WNBA. So why was Brittany Griner in Russia? Because she has to make a living for herself and her family. And in order to do that, she plays on European teams in the fucking off season. Because if the WNBA played like the NBA, she wouldn't need it. So the argument that the article was making was the fact that this is not, there are so many different things that are at play right now, which is a, Brittany Griner is one of the most talented and well-known WNBA players, right? If this were Tom Brady, again, somebody had said, there would be collective outrage, right? Picket signs and all of these things, but it is a black woman in an still an underrepresented and underpaid professional athletic field, and nobody is really blinking an eye. We're not concerned about the fact that not only is she black in Russia, but she's also queer in a country, right? That is still trying to beat the gay out of people and or jail them for it. So there is so, this story about Brittany Griner is so layered and so dense and so troublesome at the sheer fact that if she were a man, if she were a white man at that, on any other type of professional team, she wouldn't have had to be in fucking Russia to begin with. And even still, if she had been there, the outrage that is taking place, that isn't taking place only, but Sheila Jackson Lee so far, the sole member of Congress, not even members from her own fucking state of Arizona, have come out for her release. So I remained worried and concerned about Brittany Griner and if she's ever going to see her family or the United States again. And again, folks will say, oh, well, we have bigger fish to fry. And I'm like, you know, with all of these compounded crises, we need to be able to fry, walk, and chew gum at the fucking same time. Which leads me to the last story that just, once again, America's racism just out in the open. Award-winning director Ryan Coogler is in Atlanta, Georgia. Ryan Coogler is a director of Black Panther, Fruitvale Station, among others. He went into a bank in Atlanta to take out his own money with his own pin at his own bank and had the police called on him believing that he was a bank robber. Now, reports have come out that the teller at the bank was also black. And so people wanted to say, well, it can't be racism because the bank teller was black. So it must be something else. And so let me provide this lesson. White supremacy and the matrix that it lives in is breathed in and beaten into every single person 
that is a part of the white supremacist matrix, which is all of us. Black people are not absolved from anti-blackness because they have melanin in their skin. They have been educated and indoctrinated into the same system of anti-blackness and white supremacy as everyone else, which is to see even themselves and people who look like them as a threat and as criminals first and people second, once they have been able to prove their humanity. So it does not shock me that this took place and sadly took place at the hands of a black employee. It just goes to show you once again that having money, having fame does not make you immune from racism and white supremacy. There is no way to buy your way out of it. We are living, folks, Lord, in, as, as Nicole Wallace always says on MSNBC when she closes out, we are living in extraordinary times, extraordinary times. Every day that we make it to a Friday, I just thank God and the universe that we made it through the end of another week. Because by the time that we make it to Fridays, I feel like my body has been a battering ram. And this is why, you know, as I transition into the woke moment of wellness, that my mother says that we take on fear, anger, anxiety, depression on a cellular level, that if we do not find the right ways to deal with our stress, our anxiety, our, the toxins that are building up in our own bodies, they will metastasize and show up in other ways. And they will show up as dis-ease, right? Because we are not at ease. So when you are in dis-ease, your body becomes more vulnerable because your immune system is down. And so folks, I continue to say that health is actual wealth, that it is not just a saying, right? Because, you know, if we are not taking care of this one vessel, this one body that we get, if we're not doing, and I have, and I will say this out loud to all of you, I haven't been to the doctors since before the pandemic, since, since 2020. I need to go to the doctors. I need to make time for my regular check-ins, right? Because it's not just enough that I walk and I eat right. Like I also need to make time. We all need to make the time because our health is our wealth. I don't want to age in a way that has me unable to move, that lacks in mobility or cognition, so the things that we can control because so much is out of control, we need to take responsibility over and that is our health and well-being. So please dear friends, let's make a pact together, right? To get our checkups as spring is approaching, to do our internal spring cleaning so that we are rested and able to continue the fight because it is unrelenting. And so our vigilance must be over ourselves and our well-being.
That is it for me today, friends, on this Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Until next week, be well and stay woke. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.